This is an ABC podcast. It just grew from a lot of experimenting and then people just kept asking, you know, where did you get that from? And I just said, I made it, I designed it myself. We tried to find how do we bring out that culture without, say, exploiting it, but use it as one, education, but two, style and fashion. For them, they've never seen these materials that people use in the islands. And then to see clothing made out of these particular materials, they're just wowed by it all. The Pacific has long been an inspiration for many fashion designers, and it's no surprise. If you look at the beautiful natural fibers we've dressed in for many centuries, the colors of our pigments, our dyes, our motifs, who wouldn't want to celebrate this? And in some cases, appropriate it. Remember the outrage when Nike released a pair of women's tights based on the men's tattoo from Samoa? And when the Turkish designer was accused of misappropriating Maori designs? Not to mention the outcry around the bilum in Papua New Guinea. For a long time, women in the Pacific have relied on overseas fabrics to make their clothes. And in some cases, overseas manufacturers put Pacific-inspired patterns on fabric that flood our markets with cheap, sweaty, flammable threads. Well now, women are taking back control of the fabric, of our designs, and essentially our culture. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about the trailblazing women of the Pacific fashion scene. To our ancestors, our dress has been taken from our natural environment. From mats that are so finely woven from pandanus leaves that they're almost like silk to mulberry bark beaten over and over to create our beautiful tapa. To harvested furthers, shells, seeds and flowers. I love looking at all the different types of traditional dress that we have around the Pacific. And it's wonderful to see a new wave of designers taking the old and using new technologies for something completely modern. And this renaissance has really been in the making for the past few decades. But we did go through a bit of a dark patch before we arrived at this point. So I asked fashion expert Dr. Keridwin Spark how we can celebrate our traditions and culture in fashion without it being used inappropriately. Certainly in speaking with designers from the Pacific, that is one of their biggest concerns is that whilst they themselves are wanting to draw on the cultural traditions and belonging that they have to their heritage and perhaps, you know, particular designs that once they do so, that then, you know, goes out into the world and can be readily sort of copied and produced much more cheaply. It's hard to say when that began. I mean, I think that's kind of probably happened for quite a long time, really. But I think as designers, particularly keen to kind of make their mark on global fashion with something that's really locally specific and meaningful, um, it becomes, you know, more of a sort of vexed debate around the the ownership of um, particular designs and symbols and materials and who sort of has the right to use them and who doesn't and then obviously the kind of ways in which things can just be appropriated and reproduced much more cheaply for a global market. 
So I, I'm not in exactly sure when it started, but it probably is commensurate with the development of sort of fast fashion and, and things just being produced really quickly and cheaply for immediate consumption. And uh, have you seen a return in traditional customary fibres uh, and uh, materials used, used in eye fashion? Definitely. Uh, I attended the London Pacific Fashion Week at the end of 2019 and a lot of the designers from Samoa and Guam and PNG and various other parts of the Pacific, Cook Islands, were using traditional materials like pandanus leaves and shells and mother of pearl and incorporating them into their designs in a really sort of fabulous way, I think. And so for them, the designers that I spoke with, it was a really important part of bringing their traditions to the world. Do you think it's sort of changing the scenario from, you know, previously when Pacific women went outside, were exposed to overseas cultures and then going back in and then wearing something that people saw as, you know, foreign. And then now they're changing the fashion into uh, their own. Definitely, because I think it uh, reflects a cultural pride that people feel about the beauty of their own materials and um, traditions and designs. And it's a kind of an owning of that that is perhaps not something that we would have seen 10 or 20 years ago. There's a kind of, I think, emergence of a diaspora of Pacific Islanders who are very much wanting to wear garments and fashions that, you know, where they can afford it, <laughs> incorporate those, their local sort of traditions or at least reflect something about their Pacific identity. And so I think it's it's sort of a way of marking the entrance of Pacific Islanders into the world of global fashion, but in a distinct way that's really demonstrating their pride in where they, can, where they come from and what it means to be Indigenous to a place. Thank you, Dr. Keridin Spark, for that fascinating insight. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. Who ever thought that fashion would become a cultural battleground? When Nike launched those infamous women's leggings based on the Samoan Pea, a tattoo for men only, it made international headlines because of the sheer outrage it caused. I remember at the time Samoa's Prime Minister saying, this is our heritage and our cultural property. We should all be protective of it. Sadly, this is not an isolated incident. For years, Pacific designers have been battling those knockoff artists who've been stealing their original designs. Someone who knows all about this and has decided enough is enough is Papua New Guinea designer Annette Sete. So when I started Love Girl, it was mid-2014. I was just trying a few ideas. I guess the main drive was that I couldn't find Papua New Guinea motives or prints in fabric. It was a bit difficult to get proper designs on fabric. There was nothing specific to Papua New Guinea. There were some fabrics that would have a PNG flag, you know, sticking among the designs. There was a bit of mixed match where you have a Highlands man headdress on a canoe. And so I'm like, how can we do something that's more authentic, that's more Papua New Guinea, that a woman wearing a Mary blouse would identify with? And so that was... 
the main drive to try and get something in fabric that's for us Papua New Guinea and for the market. So when we were trying them on social media, it took off. Like <laughs> women love the stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I follow you and I love yeah. them too, yeah. So that's how we, we started. But it was just basically at home. Um, and selling on social media, not even on, on like shops. When I was trying to create a shop online, it doesn't show Papua New Guinea on the list of countries. So I was like, we're going to have to do it the manual way. So we would advertise something on social media and then sit in the inbox and just after a dozen messages, you finally get a sale. One thing that really fascinated me or I was curious about was the name of your uh, design. Lava is spelled L-A-V-A. Where did that name come from? I guess at the time I was thinking of something to reflect East New Britain, where I live. So there is, you know, active volcano and uh, Mount Tavor and there's history of the twin eruption in 1994. So I had made home here. My children are from here. Their father is from here. So I thought, why not we, we make something that's where we live and where you guys are from and all of that. There is volcanoes in other places in the Pacific as well. And I thought if somebody in, in Vanuatu or Hawaii or Fiji wearing something like that, they could still um, relate to volcano or lava. That's from a kitchen table, throwing ideas together to now opening your own shop as well. Yes, yes. So we started, you know, at home, kitchen table, and then now Last year, we opened a wholesale-type setup at Gardens in Mosby. That's a massive place. Uh, freaks me out sometimes. <laughs> and then we have the, the boutique-type setup at Vision City Shopping Mall in Mosby as well. So, look, I have, I think one of your designs is the taboo shell money on the, the fabric and yes. the Mary blouse. This is one of my favorite Mary blouses. So I guess you have issues there where your designs have been copied. When did it start going wrong for you and your, your business? So it's, um, while we were using Facebook to, to market our products and to get out there, um, we also put ourselves to being copied. We try to create a hype around the week that we have the stock lending and then we have like huge markets where we are the only seller there. Mm. So following those markets, we would advertise the fact that we're selling there and all that. We would advertise the designs, obviously, because women need to see how they look. Mid-2019, we had copies, like actual copies coming out to the market. So that's when we were like, okay, we need to do something about it now. And sorry, and I'm then, just going to cut in, um, Annette. So were these copies done uh, within PNG or overseas? Uh, no, it cannot be done in PNG because PNG doesn't have a textile industry as such. So all the prints are done outside and then imported into the country and, and sold. So whatever that was being copied, I would assume that a copy of the fabric sent overseas to be copied. So following 2019, up until this week, every other design we put out gets copied. Wow. It's not only taboo. From hibiscus flowers to how we do the colors, how the colors come out, the concept of the print, everything is copied. And then they are sold through the syndicate, the old network. And you see one here and you see it in Goroka, you see it in Medang, you see it in WeWak in the same week. So when we go after one, the others quickly shut down. So it's been difficult to to try and get around to 
prosecuting or stop the copies. So it's still a, like a continued fight for us. And I've been uh, big on social media trying to really support. And I think Papua New Guineans are waking up to the fight. There's a lot of support. But you can't talk and like a comment on Facebook and it'll change things unless you yourself are not buying those fakes and Absolutely. giving them the reason to produce and sell in Papua New Guinea. So it's an ongoing thing. My lawsuits that I took against um, several of these companies are going to trial next month. I mean, this it'll is... be the first time that any Papua New Guinea company has taken foreign-owned company to court over copyright infringement. Mm. And so you have so much to do. Your business is expanding and doing so well. Do you think it's worth fighting for, you know, protect what you have? I think it is. I mean, it's frustrating when you look at our stock sitting and, you know, they're getting away with selling fake items or imitations or copies of our designs because they never thought about the idea. You know, and they watch the market and they see what's trending. You know, what are the products coming into Papua New Guinea, created by Papua New Guineans and selling like hot cake? How do they replicate and just sell something cheaper? And they continue to get away with it. It's just ridiculous. It's frustrating to just sit and watch them. So I'm pretty pumped to sort of continue the fight and just make sure that this, this is stopped. It has to stop. It's just eating into our margin, eating into our bottom line at the end of the day. What's the impact of uh, design theft on women and culture? For our designs, I think there's a massive, massive impact on not only culture, but on finances, women's finances. We try to find how do we bring out that culture without, say, exploiting it, but use it as one, education, but two, style and fashion. So far, like from all our designs that we've put out, women have embraced it. They have also used it um, to advance in terms of finance. So they're doing it for their little SMEs. They're sewing, mm. um, they're selling. Everyone wants to try a different style. There's a massive, massive influence in young women taking up sewing. A lot of corporate women sewing as a side business. So we feel that we contribute a lot to getting that trend up, influencing a lot of women to take that on. Because prior to 2014, it wasn't massive as it is today. Uh, any final words for our listeners who are listening to you? I think it's a good time to be in the fashion industry. So if, if there's young women doing sewing and all that, keep it up. There is money in this business if you do it well. The other Pacific sisters are way ahead of us in, in PNG. The textile industry is quite vibrant in those countries. Mm. Papua New Guinea, we are just getting into it. So if there's women or men even getting into sewing, getting into textile printing and all of that, they should continue to do it. I mean, if we can do it on the kitchen table and bring it to the shopping mall, I think anybody can do it. If they kind of put their mind into it, commit the time and energy to do it, they can. That was Annette Sete, the incredible woman behind Lava Girl fashion label, who is taking on the people she says are copying her designs in Papua New Guinea. When you start talking about all these amazing women who have created their own fashion brands, that's a common theme. Inspiration grows from necessity and a creative bent. When you can't find clothing you want, you make your own. And they're also creating their own fabric designs to do it. 
blending the traditional with modern, and it's a true celebration. At the same time, we are embracing the traditional. They're also destroying the stereotype that Pacific fashion is only about lap laps and seashells. That's exactly what Jackie Lohani is doing. As a teenager, thinking about getting into designing clothes, never in her wildest dreams did she think she would be in a thriving fashion business with her sisters. But she is. Their label, MENA, turns 20 next year, and a key focus has been the use of traditional patterns in their fabrics. We, we were living in Samoa at the time and drew a lot of inspiration from the, the Samoan patterns or the Samoan tatau, which is from the traditional Samoan tattoos. And a lot of people back then were printing their own designs. So we saw an opportunity there to use it, to modernise it and modernise the prints. So we wanted to um, give it a more contemporary look. And I guess the approval came from when we opened up our first shop in 2002 and we discovered that we had nearly run out of stock on the first week we opened. Did you learn from your grandparents and uh, elders in this process? Well, our mother had been sewing since we were very little. So she was the one that taught us the trade. And me and my sister had always been quite artistic. And while I was living in Samoa, she, you know, I was looking for like something. I couldn't find anything that I wanted to wear. So I started creating and designing my own clothes and printing. And even the colours, I couldn't find the colours I wanted. So I went out and bought white, white fabric and started dyeing. Uh, the colours that I wanted. So it just grew from a lot of experimenting and then people just kept asking, you know, where did you get that from? And I just said, I made it, I designed it myself. So it sort of just grew, started from there. And mum, it was interesting because we were born and raised in New Zealand and our parents were advised, you know, to speak English to us growing up. So we didn't really grow up with that whole Pakistan or culture when we were younger. So as I grew older, I was I was finding higher to find identity. And so when I went back to Samoa in my teens, I felt like that I was finally home. I understood where I came from and that, that was really important. Being in this industry for this long, what challenges did you have in the process of modernising and monetizing these cultural designs into your fashion? When we first started, you know, we didn't come from a business background. We saw an opportunity, so we took it and we knew that we had a great product. And it wasn't very easy in the beginning. The cash flow wasn't there. We weren't able to pay ourselves. It was also asking, and you know, where do you go for help? So it was actually quite hard for us. And we sort of went a bit blindsided there. But we actually learned, you know, a lot from our mistakes. And because there was four of us, I just made it a lot easier to split the roles as well. And in terms of modernising it, we were able to, to make, you know, the traditional politasi, the two-piece traditional one in Samoa, more contemporary, and we had to make it more commercial as well. Because back in the Pacific Island, it's normal to take your fabric to a seamstress and have it made up. So we were one of the first shops to actually sell off the rack, and that actually took a while for people to understand that. But, you know, it certainly paid off. We took the risk, and it did certainly pay off. I guess the difference between a modern fashion and a, a garment like yours is the story you tell and heritage. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I agree. And I think it's so important 
you know, for Pacific businesses to tell their story because, you know, they can actually relate and they identify with it. And we find that we, we get a lot of support from other mm-hmm. Pacific businesses. We know how hard it is to start, you know, businesses. And we do a lot of mentoring as well from upcoming emerging Pacific business owners as well that just, you know, just need some help or advice. And how important is it for you to pay tribute in a respectful way using these traditional designs on modern clothing? Very important. I mean, we have the traditional tattoo, which is the tatao, which means tattoo for the male, and the malu for the female, which means sacred and sheltered. And it's it's very important because it's a it's a three thousand year old tradition, mm. and it's you know has deep history, you know, surrounding the marks of honor, tradition, respect, and pride. You know, my sisters and and I all have that traditional female tattoo, and we take a lot of pride in that, and it also. You know, it's our identity and, um, you know, very proud of that. You know, we have to acknowledge our forefathers and um, ancestors for, you know, reviving the tradition because back in the 1700s, the missionaries were trying to discourage the practice. So by the time Samoa gained independence, they brought it back in full force. So we're very grateful to them for making sure that, you know, we've kept this tradition alive. We're very respectful of the markings as well, and it pays a lot of tribute to our ancestors. Absolutely. And not only have you been in the industry and done so well for so long, you've also collaborated and you mentor young Pacific designers. What advice do you have for others who are listening today to your story? Technology has um, evolved and it's very important in the role nowadays with businesses and technology is just changing all the time. You just have to make sure that you know you're a couple of steps ahead Mm. and just make sure you do your research and have your business plan. And just don't be afraid to ask questions as well because I know when we first started off we were a bit reluctant to ask but we just find that there are people there that are willing to help and it's just better to just speak out and ask for help. Jackie, fascinating. I'll finish off here with uh, just one final question. Looking back over the you know 20 years that you've been doing this, did you ever think you would yes. be here today? You know, that's funny because I never thought I would be working with my sisters. Um, it just eventually, it just evolved organically. We just um, we all ended up in Samoa at the same time. And um, I don't think if me and my mum had, you know, first moved to Samoa at that stage, you know, Mina would not be here today. So, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I'm just really grateful that, you know, I'm able to work with my sisters because we draw strength from each other. And we're just really proud, you know, of where Mina is at today. Jackie Loheni, the production manager at the label Mena, which is embracing traditional patterns for a modern Pacific consumer. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. It's not just locally where Pacific women are taking control of our region's fashion. It's also on the international stage. Our textile designs and our take on fashion are being showcased on the runways at fashion festivals around the world. A team of Pacifica women are boldly occupying the international fashion space through an annual event, Pacific Runway. Janik Sayuli adds up the event and she talked to Sisters Let's Talk producer Amanda Donaghy about where it all started and why it's so important taking our designs to the international stage. Now it is very serious. I've got so many guests that come through and so many people that are, are part of the team, but it's still something that I'm very passionate about and it's just on a 
on a different um, level now because so many people are watching what you are doing, um, whether it's here in Australia, people from overseas are now, you know, watching what you are doing. It is a lot of weight on my shoulders, but but it's something that I'm passionate about. So sometimes it doesn't feel like work for me. Well, just recently at Australian Fashion Week last week, seeing models that have walked for our show that started there, now walking there, designers that are opened up, Indigenous designers that opened up for Pacific Runway in previous years, um, were able to showcase an Australian Fashion Week, which was awesome to see. And just all these opportunities that we've been able to see um, our creators start where we are and now moving on. And that's another achievement for us that I love to see is, you know, just everyone expanding and growing and doing what they love. So how does Pacific Runway empower women from the Pacific Islands? People see the show and think, who runs this? Who Who's organising this? And actually we had a meeting yesterday um, and, and meeting some new people that are, we are working with um, for the event. And we had some of our babies with us because obviously, you know, they're only under one. They were with us uh, at this meeting and the surprise on their face was, <laughs> oh, so who's in charge? Like, who else after this? Oh, we do. You know, and I love that though because then it's so unexpected because in their mind they see this big show that's, amazing but I love to show people you know we are real people we're you know we're mothers and still doing all this stuff on the side. What countries do the designers that showcase at your event what countries do they come from? Throughout the years we've heard from Papua New Guinea, Fiji, New Zealand, Samoa, from America, from um, Hawaii, Tahiti which is great because we get lots of non-Pacific people now they come to the show now which is awesome for us it'll be normal to see tapa and all that kind of stuff but for them they've never seen these materials that people use in the islands and then to see clothing made out of these particular materials they're just wowed by it all you know so it's a it's a very big cultural experience for those that are of non-Pacific backgrounds that get to come and see we're more than just coconuts and palm trees and so this event do you think that this event inspires designers based in the pacific to to think internationally oh yeah definitely we've had um even for the application process there's different categories whether it's students um emerging Mm -hmm. established so that the platform is open for all to participate not just you know established designers because you know we have designers that have participated they have their own shops some that are just starting out they're only doing things online but i think this platform shows designers or upcoming designers that like you know this is something that we can be a part of and that we can then go on to, you know, selling online and then maybe one day opening a shop. And it's definitely a platform that does inspire um, our people to, you know, keep pushing boundaries and that we belong in the fashion industry as well. That was Janik Sayuli. I don't know about you, but it fills me with such pride to think of our cultural patterns and our take on fashion and our models walking the catwalk at these international festivals. Isn't it just great? I want to see the Mary Blouse on a catwalk. Has that happened? If not, we need to make that happen at next year's Australian Fashion Week. Better still, Paris. Sky is the limit, they say. I live in Melbourne and wear my Mary Blouses with pride every chance I can get. There's a sense of satisfaction knowing I'm supporting local talented women. We've heard from Pacific designers and what stands out in a clothing such as the Mary Blouse is... It's not just an ordinary piece of clothing. It's the story and one's cultural heritage that makes them stand out in the fashion world, whether you're wearing it at home or overseas. 
while it is a free and huge market out there for Pacific designers, there's also challenges. We've heard from PNG designer Annette Serte, who is going to court and fighting the issue of copyright with her designs. Ultimately, it's really in your hands as a buyer to choose to support our talented Pacific designers who are trying their best. They are already making great strides in this industry, blending unique Pacific stories and culture in fashion. The difference between, for example, a Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Chanel brand and what Pacific women are making is the cultural heritage and the story behind the Pacific designs. And that needs to be celebrated and appreciated. Next time on Sisters, let's talk. Absent partners. What's it like for women in the Pacific separated from their partners due to work? The hardest part about being apart is that when you're going through something separately in your independent lives, you're not able to comfort them or be there for them and just give them a hug or say it's okay, it's going to be okay, you're going to get through it. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Thank you so much for joining me for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. I'd love to hear from you, especially if you've got a topic you'd like us to cover. Send me an email to sisters at abc.net.au. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Amanda Donaghy. Our supervising producer is Inga Stuntzner. Executive producer is Justin Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. Emtasol na bungimu next time.